Welcome to the Let's Get Real podcast with Justin and Trisha Davis. Honest conversations about life, love, and leadership. So welcome. Well, hey, everybody. We are excited because today we have a bonus episode with none other, Tony Newhoff, a.k.a. the better half of Carrie Newhoff. We all know that she is the brains behind the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. If you're familiar with that podcast, uh, Carrie Newhoff is an incredible uh, podcast host, but he's also the husband of Tony Newhoff. Who is just a, just an extremely amazing human being. She's a ministry leader, she's a family attorney, and she's the author of Before You Split. We have this incredible conversation with Tony about her book, but also just about some of the things that she sees in the context of couples on their way to divorce. And so it's a really captivating conversation. But before we dive into it, we want to give you one last reminder of a brand new masterclass that we're hosting on March the 2nd. It is Thursday, March 2nd at 8 p.m. It's called Restoring Broken Trust, Four Choices to Bring Healing When Trust is Broken. And it's a free masterclass. You can go to refineus.org slash masterclass. You can also go to the show notes and there's a link there. But we're going to really help you identify ways that trust is broken in your marriage relationship in big and small ways and how you can rebuild trust or how you can allow trust to be rebuilt if you're the one that has had trust broken in your life. And so join us on March 2nd, 8 p.m. You can sign up, but now let's dive into this captivating conversation with Tony Newhoff. We are super excited to have what we believe is an, who we believe is an extraordinary um, guest with us today. Tony Newhoff is with us sharing all things about marriage and relationships, and we are so excited to have you. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, ever since I met Carrie several years ago, and uh, we spoke at some conferences together, and then I think we were on the one of the early episodes, Trish and I, of his podcast, and um, I have recognized long ago that you are the better half of the Newhoff family, and so it's great <laughs> to connect with you, and I absolutely loved your book and just love the perspective that it was written from, uh, but before we dive into that, just give us a little bit of background about who you are, your family, uh, where, you, where you're from, all that stuff. Sure. Well, Carrie and I live just north of Toronto in Ontario, Canada. Uh, we've been married now for 31 years, and we have two boys. Uh, they're 25 and 29, and uh, they're they're launched out into the world. So we are empty nesters at this point and loving it, I have to say. Uh, Carrie and I met years and years ago at law school, and over the years, we... Um, experienced a call into ministry. Uh, we were church leaders here in, in Oro, um, founded a church. I was volunteering in our churches uh, and worked outside our house professionally. Uh, I'm um, licensed as a pharmacist and a lawyer, so I've practiced both over the years, but I spent the last several years of my career working as a, a divorce attorney. So that's a, a little bit in background. I feel smarter just being with you via Zoom. So that that is an incredible uh, resume. It's a little off script, but how do pharmacy and law? How did how did that come about? Were you just were you kind of torn which way you wanted to go, or were you interested in both, or how how did that happen? Uh, 
both of what you said. I was definitely interested in both, had a, a hard time between in that, you know, arts sciences, art sciences decision. So uh, I did my pharmacy degree first and uh, went through the whole licensing process. And then uh, I, I felt like, okay, now, now I'm going to take another angle and lean a little bit more into the arts side. Um, you know, the, the art of persuasion and advocacy and so on was what drew me to law school. Wow. That's incredible. That is, I want to be you when I grow up. (laughs) I laugh about it. It's a bit schizophrenic. Well, and then I'll live in the tension. (laughs) All of those beautiful, incredible things. And that is even, that's not even scratching the surface of why we invited you here today. Um, We're excited to chat with you that now you have added to that incredible resume as an author of this book. So I, that's just, that's incredible. Um, one of the things that I really appreciated about your book is, you know, you do have the experience of a divorce attorney and we have a neighbor who is, uh, she was a lawyer, she was a practicing attorney and she actually had to take some time off uh, because family law got so tiresome and so heavy. Mm-hmm. And so you're walking through the worst parts of people's lives for the most part as a divorce attorney. And then you also have this hat that you're wearing as a church leader and as a pastor's wife. Mm -hmm. And then you also have a role that you're playing as a mother and and a wife. And you bring all of that experience into uh, the book that you wrote called Before You Split. And what I appreciated about it, I appreciated the, the thoughtfulness that you had as an attorney, but also just the candor and the authenticity that you shared as a spouse. So could you just talk a little bit about the book the book itself and maybe the genesis of it and how you came about wanting to write this book? Sure. Several years, uh, several years ago, I would say it's probably 15 years ago, um, Carrie and I hit the lowest part in our marriage. Uh, we, we experienced a, I would say a slow slide into a, a season of conflict uh, that went on not for months, but for, for years. And it was complicated, you know, in, with 2020 hindsight, we can recognize the factors that led to us just becoming stuck in our marriage uh, and struggling so, so deeply. Uh, thankfully, by the grace of God, we, we've gone through a healing process as well. And uh, I would say, even though our marriage was that bad at one point, now I would say it's thriving. And we both agree that this marriage is, is way better than we ever anticipated when we were married. So we're, uh, we're really grateful for that transformation. And we do um, give the, the glory to, to Jesus for that. Um, we, we went through this struggle and uh, I, I wasn't practicing as a divorce attorney when we were in the thick of it. Um, but after we turned a corner and we were, uh, we were already experiencing uh, some of this turnaround, I did start practicing as a divorce attorney. And I recognized that the people who were, who were sitting across from me, uh, from me at my desk, I, I could easily envision myself being in their place because we had gotten to the place where I asked you know, is this what the end looks like? Uh, and 
I think there were a couple of those factors that compelled me to write this book. It was it was that I, I could see that sometimes the people who went through um, the divorce process with me came back afterward and it wasn't what they expected. And what had uh, transpired wasn't what they imagined when they made the decision to divorce. And I even had one um, gentleman in particular, I, I, I can picture him, he came back to me with tears in his eyes and said, if I'd only known then what I know now, I would have worked harder to save my marriage. Mm-hmm. I found that so compelling. That wasn't everyone's story, but it, it was the story for some of my clients. And Carrie and I learned some things along the way. We, you know, we learned them the hard way. And you referred to the, the candor of some of the stories in the book. Uh, I, I really felt that I could not only show people um, with more clarity what their options are and what it might look like on the other side of divorce, but also what might help. Carrie and I found several solutions along the way to, to our multi-layered problems and, uh, and maybe something in there can help someone else. I love that. I, you know, Justin and I have walked, um, on the pastoral side of divorce and it is a conversation that people don't have oftentimes publicly the the space that you find people in. And it is this incredible soul-crushing moment that I guess I've never really thought about um, what a, a beautiful way to love on someone in their deepest, darkest time, even with something ending to breathe life into them along coming alongside them. That's that's incredible. It's probably a good thing, too, that you weren't a practicing divorce attorney when you and Carrie went through that because you could have just written up the papers really easily. <laughs> good point. <laughs> you talked about taking off your wedding ring and, you know, throwing it, you know, onto the floor of the car and, you know, just some of those things that I think so many people can relate to, the things that happen behind closed doors. And, um, you know, as you were talking, it made me think, you know, uh, there's a, a guy by the name of Seth, Seth Godin that wrote a book. Um, called the dip. Mm-hmm. And the premise of the book is that so many people, so many entrepreneurs, uh, hit a wall after they launch a product or a business, and many of them quit right before a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of couples, um, you know, they get to this place where they're banging their head up against this wall over and over again, and they're not fighting about anything new. They're fighting about the same things over and over again, and they yes. think you know what, um, it's probably easier to give up. And the premise of your book is you, you don't have to, to give up. Before you do give up, um, let me offer some some better solutions. Mm. Yeah, that is such a good application. I haven't heard anyone make that comment uh, about about the, the dip, um, but I think that that's so true. Uh, you know, I, I can say that Carrie and I were there at that point where we, we had the conversation about what might this look like, you know, it, and I think the impact of it made me realize that what I really wanted wasn't to split. It was, I wanted this painful version of our marriage to be gone, essentially. And I wanted the fun and closeness that we had at the beginning to to be a reality in our relationship again. Uh, 
and so if there's anyone out there who is also asking the question, you know, is this what the end looks like? And wondering whether is it even possible to be in love in this relationship again? Uh, I, I would, I would just say, take a pause, take it slow, and really explore those options. You know, is there some way that you might have an influence that would turn the trajectory of your marriage? Could you tell us that's such a powerful statement, especially for someone who is at that crisis point, it's really hard to see beyond this, you know, myopic view of just all of the hard and the panoramic view that there is grace and redemption and forgiveness and grief can lead to healing. There are so many couples I'm sure that you have encountered over your time in ministry, in um, even your ministry as a divorce lawyer, that we have a, a generation that is entering into marriage with this huge question mark of will they make it? Justin's mm -hmm. parents divorced after 36 years. My parents divorced after 25 years. And so there's this legacy that you can still be married for a long time, but it end in divorce. Mm. When you think about where you and Carrie were in, in those darkest moments, what were some of the first things that began to change your heart? And you, I know that you know this, that you can't change a human heart. And even in Justin and I's story, I, I couldn't force him to change, but there mm -hmm. was this moment where I had to choose if I was going to be my healthiest self, regardless if my marriage um, would heal after us being separated. Do you remember in, you know, in those early stages of seeing healing on the other side, what were some of the steps that, um, brought you to the next right step? Hmm. Well, for me, counseling was definitely a part of it. Uh, I went to individual counseling before Carrie and I started uh, marriage counseling together. And uh, we've, we've been to, you know, not only one counselor, but we've had a, a few different counselors along the way, each of them really helpful in their own ways. Uh, so that was, that was definitely a part of it. Uh, personal and spiritual growth was a, a, a big part of, of growth for me and for Carrie, um, even, you know, praying prayers like the one that David prayed uh, in Psalm 139, you know, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Uh, I, I think before, before we got to the point where we knew that something had to change and, and that and I had to take it so seriously, uh, you know, I had to figure out what my role was in, in all of this conflict in the, the negative space that our marriage ended up in. And it took us um, quite a long time to get to the point of a deeper level of humility. Mm. 
and and a willingness to uh, to move beyond feeling like we were victims. So I, you know, I think Carrie and I were stuck in the place where many couples get stuck, where each of them feels like a, a victim of the other person. And I don't mean in the, you know, in the criminal law sense or the the violent sense, like that's, you know, harmful marriages aside, people who are in unhappy marriages get in the place where they think it's mostly my spouse's fault. Even though, you know, I'm not going to say I'm perfect. I know that I have imperfections, but, but really my core belief is that it's mainly Carrie's fault. And if he would stop doing X or he would start doing Y, then things would be so much better. And, you know, and our, we wouldn't be struggling so deeply. And we had to get to the point where we would just get underneath that victim story and start to search for, you know, what is my role? And for anyone who's listening and, and maybe stuck and maybe thinking, well, it's, it, you know, it is mainly my spouse's fault. I really don't think there's much I can do here. I would challenge you to search for your role, even if it is like 5% of the problem. Okay. I'll give you that. I will say, your spouse owns 95% of the problem, <laughs> but, but search for your five because you have no idea what influence you're addressing your 5% could make, you know, you're making an apology just for whatever that small role is um, because that may just be enough to, to shift um, your perspective, your spouse's perspective, and you may find that it starts, you know, it's that little tiny snowball that starts the larger snowball. So, so good. Um, you use this illustration in the book. You talk about going into a mud, a mud hole or a pool of mud as a family. And, you know, you guys were neck deep in mud and, and then, you know, kind of how unattractive, how cute the kids were and how unattractive you both appeared to the other after getting out of the mud. But then you talk about how difficult it is to get mud off of all of you. It's easy to get off your hands, but it's difficult. And you use that as a powerful illustration to just talk about how we all bring dirty things into our marriage relationship. Um, what, what role does baggage, what role does the past, what role have you seen wounds from the past, or as you call it, mud from the past, have on the present and the future of someone's marriage? I think often it has more more of a role than you think. Um, I know when Carrie and I were married, I had no idea that I was carrying uh, some of the wounds from the past, you know, into not only my um, my thought life, but also the posture of my heart, my ability to trust, even my ability to trust God. You know, I, I had all of these um, hidden, destructive beliefs, I call them lies, <laughs> um, that I really didn't appreciate. I didn't understand that they were there operating beneath the surface. And so, for example, I, I had this belief that uh, I'm better off alone. And it's not something that I would have talked about. It's not that I didn't value having friends. You know, I would reach out, I would uh, try to build friendships. And, you know, obviously I, I wanted to be married with Carrie, um, but 
underneath the surface um, because of my experience of not, not being able to trust the adults in my life. It's like I had made a, a pact early on in my life that I am going to be self-sufficient. You know, I'm, I'm better off alone and I need to uh, arrange my life for my own survival. So that's a, a lie that would isolate me from other people. It would keep me superficial in my friendships. And even more importantly, in my marriage, it would, it would keep me uh, in a stance of withdrawal or even stonewalling. You know, when Carrie and I were trying to air our differences, I would tend to zone out into my own world. And, and that was, it's not that I was intentionally trying to do that. It's that this was an impact that I'd carried forward and didn't know was there. So it took, um, it took some uh, prayer and just listening to, to Jesus and listening to the voices of other Christians and my counselor. Uh, and, uh, you know, in, I was at an inner healing conference as well that made a, a huge difference in, in, you know, reforming some of those beliefs and uh, bringing truth to bear. So I believe that I'm not alone in this. You know, we have various lies that we tend to pick up along the way um, that, you know, sometimes may even just be the influence of the enemy um, trying to bring us down. And they, they might be things like, I'm not enough, or I don't have what it takes, or I deserve to be invisible. Um, but the truth is that Jesus doesn't want us to live with those shackles um, because those lies only operate as, um, as glass ceilings for us. And so I, I do believe that um, anyone out, out there who's listening to this and, and feeling like maybe you're resonating with something I'm saying, you know, really bring that matter um, before Jesus and, and uh, ask him to illuminate whatever the root of that is and, and don't do it on your own. Make sure that if you're going on a healing journey, that you have someone, one or two people who can support you through the process. So good. That's so good. I, I, I feel emotional just whether or not anyone else is listening. I'm, I'm on a journey right now. Uh, my dad passed away about a year and a half ago, and I've tried to mourn that. And uh, I'm sorry. Some of the other people that I, I'm having a hard time trusting people, and I'm working through that with a counselor right now. And um, just hearing you speak those words out, I just know how much they just ministered to me um, personally. I can't imagine how many people uh, will resonate with that. If you've been hurt or let down by other people, and you are working through that, or you haven't worked through that, the first person that's going to feel the effects of that is the person that you're married to, and. Mm -hmm. so, that's really good. Tony, how do you know who who is safe? You know, the at the heart of marriage, we know um, the heart of marriage is to be fully known and fully loved, but our greatest fear is that we'll be fully known, but we won't be fully loved. Mm -hmm. And so to live in that posture that you lived with for so long, we are broken, fallible people, and we're going to, there's never the perfect friend out there um, mm -hmm. but how do you vet the right person to come around you? I know when Justin and I were separated, I needed to make sure that I was around people that 
I didn't have to hold their pain for my marriage falling apart. Mm. I needed to be around people who, of course, felt sad and broken, but I was able to be fully me. And to be fully me meant I was going to say some really bad things about Justin that Jesus will probably (laughs) hold me accountable for. Um, But they knew that that was grief. And I didn't need them Mm -hmm. to say, yeah, girl, you know, I needed them to just nod and, and hold space for me. How would you encourage someone listening who's saying, okay, I understand what Tony is saying, but like, how do I find those people and know that they're safe? Mm-hmm. Excellent question. You know, relationships uh, need to show some evidence of being reciprocal. And so in your friendships, uh, you if you pay attention, you'll be able to notice uh, that a relationship is is going back and forth and that conversations go back and forth, you know, something like a ping pong match. You know, you should be asking questions of each other. And uh, if you disclose something that's that's vulnerable, then, uh, you know, you would you're, you shouldn't be the only person who is being vulnerable in the relationship. So uh, it takes time to develop close friendships um, with people who are, are safe. Uh, but I, I think you know, the questions to ask are, uh, will this person be trustworthy? You know, will they um, keep what I tell them in a vault and not use it as food for gossip? Um, Will they uh, be, will they sit with me with my emotions? Um, Because, you know, what you, you're absolutely right. You need people who can, uh, who, who can navigate that, ability to sit with your emotions, be okay with them, uh, validate them, um, but then also be a a person who can give you feedback that you may not necessarily want to hear sometimes at the right time. You know, you want to have relationships with people who will help you move forward. And sometimes moving forward means that you have to see your own blind spots So you need some close people around you who can be honest. And you also have a role to play in that. You need to give them permission to tell you things that you might not necessarily want to hear or may be difficult to hear. Um, But, you know, in the end, iron sharpens iron. And you, you do want to walk with the wise if to become wise. And, And that means that sometimes we have to have those awkward conversations. Um, But, uh, you know, if someone is listening to this, and if you don't find that you have close friends around you, and you're not seeing the potential to uh, develop this kind of relationship with with people who are close to you, I would actually take that conversation to a counselor or a therapist and explore why it is that you, you don't have those close relationships. You know, is it that I'm holding back? Um, is it that I'm, uh, you know, there's, there's something in my prior experience that is uh, making me afraid of being vulnerable and, and develop the, developing these closer relationships. That's good. Um, you talk about fighting for we instead of me uh, in a marriage relationship as kind of one of the first steps or one of the steps that you talk about is kind of turning the corner and not just surviving your marriage, but seeing your marriage thrive. 
Talk about that process and what that looks like. You kind of mentioned it a little bit, owning the 5% or whatever percentage you have uh, in that relationship. But what are some other things that people can do um, in that process of fighting for we instead of me? Mm-hmm. Well, to, to fight for we means that you need to elevate the value of your relationship of your of your bond together and your closeness and sometimes i think we we start to uh, fight or argue as if it's us and them and uh you know it, it may become more characterized by competitiveness as opposed to a sense of unity in in your marriage. And Carrie and I have been in that place, so I don't say that with any judgment or criticism. Uh, You know, that's what happens as we're maturing. And so when Carrie and I uh, would, would argue sometimes about you know, what we wanted, it was as if we each had our own ideal. And we were trying to persuade the other person to come over to our side and see it our way. And, you know, maybe you have two ideals that you're arguing over. And it seems like the solution to your issue is binary, or at least you're fighting as if as if it is. And so to, to fight for we instead of me means that rather than either of your ideal solutions. You're searching together for another solution that you can both live with. But because you can both live with it, because you can both live with it, the value of that solution is actually elevated because it preserves the peace and the harmony in your marriage, because it values both of your perspectives, not just the perspective of one person. And and to reach that kind of solution often means that you have to dig deeper and uh, gain the self-control to listen. You might have to fight back your own emotions or your own defensiveness that may sort of instinctively rise up uh, when when you're faced with the proposition of not getting your own way and that but that creativity is something that sometimes people deny you know sometimes people say well i'm i'm not a creative person or you know i really don't like brainstorming uh, well i would just step back and reconsider that because often i think we don't stop to think about how many potential solutions there actually are to whatever the issue is. And uh, when you go through that process together, it, I, it is a, a process of developing a closer bond and, and more unity. Uh, and so in the heat of the moment, I encourage people to, to think, if I win, if I win this argument, we lose. If I win, we lose. Keep that in mind the next time you start to make your pitch to your partner and (laughs) think that you're going to win them over when probably that's not what's going to happen. And and then ask the question, how can we win? We needed you about four hours ago in a heated (laughs) conversation, maybe all about this. We... um, we were entering this season of empty nesting and then we adopted and we adopted two children with uh, lots of trauma. And so Mm. it's been this weird space for us that we know what it's like to make poor decisions and be separated and come back together. 
Um, we wrote a marriage book that we has transformed us. They're principles that we still live by today. But then we have found ourselves in this new space and new circumstances. And it's um, amazing how a lot of that can go out the window in the little mm-hmm. things. You know, you're not talking about um, the deep, dark pit of life. Those are almost, they're hard, but there's clarity of what needs to happen next. It's these little things along the way that you're just trying to get to the next thing, um, like almost in survival mode. So that that's such a good um, that's such a good word. And it it brought me to this question. Um, you said something that just made me giggle. That you are in this season with Carrie that um, is fun. And we talk about um, all the time when marriage is done in a way of honoring the we, just like you said, um, marriage is like fine wine. It just gets better over time. It has less to do with wrinkles popping up and not being able to, you know, maybe do things in the way you used to do them. But there is such a special bond that you can't imagine living life without each other and adventuring with each other, whether that's buying a new chair or going on an actual adventure. What are some things that you're either excited about or have been surprisingly so fun in this empty nesting season? As you know, a lot of couples place all of their eggs in the kid's basket. And let me just say, this is a little off topic. You know, like when our kids were young and you go to like preschool events or um, Bible studies and you would hear somebody pour into you or maybe passing in church about like, oh, just hang in there. It gets better. And, you know, you'll just, it goes so quick. And I always thought, well, that's because you sleep through the night. Don't say that to me. (laughs) But there's not this club of um, those of us who are launching kids out of their house because for many of us where our kids are launching into new beginnings, it's a very much um, an ending for a season of life that we have done as a family unit. And the reason I want to clarify that, because I think there are some people that are listening um, that are fearing getting to that season. So I would just love to hear maybe some of the fun things that you guys have um, enjoyed. It's like that hard work you've done, and now it's just like, let's hardcore play. (laughs) Well, at this stage, uh, we bought a canoe last year. I love it. (laughs) And, and this was a, a surprise to me, first of all, that Carrie went along with it um, because he knew that my ulterior motive was that I love canoe camping and, and he really doesn't like camping, but <laughs> he bought me the canoe anyway. <laughs> Way to go, Carrie. So, so canoe camping is basically you canoe someplace and then you just camp. Well, it's uh, you. It's a like a multi-night trip, and you you um, pack whatever you need into the canoe, and you take off, and and you have basically no contact with uh, other humans except the the few other people who might be out in the wilderness with you uh, at other sites. And so you you need to be very strategic, and uh, you have to plan everything that you bring because you'll be carrying it over the portages oh along gosh. with your canoe. So Justin would do canoe glamping uh, with me. I I don't know. It's it's a lot of work, actually, but it's fun. I find it to be like the most fun and freeing 
experience ever. Um, but Carrie, this surprisingly, uh, not only bought me the canoe, but was a good sport, went out canoeing with me and discovered that he actually loves canoeing. And so we ended up spending far more time canoeing last year than we expected. And then we went on a canoe trip that we could almost do last year. <laughs> it turned out to be super challenging. Uh, we couldn't call the park offices because they were closed because of COVID. And we got as much information as we could, but it was a good thing that my, my, one of my sons was with us because he filled the gap <laughs> for us, whatever the, the things that we couldn't lift over all the rocks and boulders, he, he took care of for us. <laughs> That's incredible. Awesome. So, uh, so the second surprise was Carrie has actually agreed to go on another canoeing adventure this year. That's so wow. fun. That's amazing. I feel like we need to do a follow-up podcast just about exactly. this canoeing trip because it sounds like there <laughs> and, is. And to top it all off, he made a commitment that if he was going to go on this trip, my son said, okay, dad, you can come with us, but you cannot complain. <laughs> and we had torrential rain. We had a thunderstorm that we had to canoe through. Uh, we had two days out of three were actually rainy. And he didn't complain, not even once. That's amazing. So, yes. Carrie, like, woohoo. Not, not, not to offer a really cheesy pun, but I bet you didn't see that coming. <laughs> 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 so, no, no, that's the title of Carrie's book. Uh, so, <laughs> well played. <laughs> your, uh, th thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your book. Um, we encounter couples all the time that um, are just hanging on by a string, hanging on by a thread, and hanging on for hope. And I just feel like this is a resource that um, you don't have to be in crisis to read this book. Um, but if you are in crisis, this could be the hope and the lifeline that you've been praying about uh, and that the Holy Spirit might use uh, just to uh, give you uh, some insight and some some steps to take to, to not uh, meet with a divorce attorney. So thank you again so much for being with us. This was just so rich and good. And I took notes. <laughs> we we'll may have to. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I just want to thank you so much for the conversation. It's uh, It's been such a pleasure. That's awesome. Well, for those of you listening, uh, we will give you all the details of where you can find Tony's book. But we just hope you know that there are people out there that are fighting and encouraging you, um, fighting for you and encouraging you in your marriage relationship that it is possible um, to have a healthy and thriving and fun uh, marriage, even on canoes. So um, we hope you feel encouraged today. And can, can I just also say that I, I so appreciate how honest and vulnerable you are with people about the struggles you went through personally in your marriage. And it's, it's just so encouraging to hear from other couples who have done the work, um, hunkered down, uh, you know, did the, the, the hard soul searching and, uh, went through the tough emotions and you've um, really fought for your marriage. 
And, and I, I really hope and pray that you're, uh, you're experiencing the blessings of that. And, uh, you know, I, I just hope and pray for um, even more of those blessings in the future. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tony Newhoff. She is the author of a book called Before You Split, and you can find that on Amazon. Special thanks to her for joining us for this bonus episode of the Let's Get Real podcast. One last reminder to join us for a brand new masterclass for free on Thursday, March 2nd at 8 p.m. Eastern. We're going to be talking about restoring broken trust, four choices to bring healing when trust is broken. And so if you've had broken trust in your marriage, if you have broken trust in your marriage, this is going to be a powerful masterclass that we hope will be practical and will add value to your marriage. So go to refineus.org slash masterclass. Hope you've enjoyed this bonus episode and we'll see you next time on the Let's Get Real podcast.